let's stand together and uh, let's look at Genesis chapter 26. And what I want you to pay attention to in this text this morning is that there are four movements in the text. And I want you to pay attention to them because they're important. So I'm reading the blue, and you're going to read the black. And this is the first movement. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his, grandfather, or his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Well done. Here's the second movement. And then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So we called its name Sitna. Here's the third movement. And he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And here's our final movement. And from there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon it the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahazah, his advisor, and Pickle, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me? Seeing that you hate me, have sent me far away. I like that. That was very good. You know what I love about hearing you read names? I don't feel like much quite this idiot when I read the Bible. And sometimes I take that burden off you, but I couldn't resist today. And they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let, them be, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us. And, make, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you or have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. That's ironic. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Notice this line. You are now the blessed of the Lord. And so he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba this day. Beautiful. You're a bright lot. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we know that you love us. And you are generous and you're extravagant and you are gracious about it because you have demonstrated it so explicitly in Jesus Christ. And we thank you today that you don't just leave us there, but you give us your spirit in us and you allow him and you have, through him, you make that which is accomplished in Christ and that which is applicable in our lives, that you make that a reality.
And so we pray today that you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, hearts to understand, minds to comprehend. And when we leave this building, when we leave this property, we will go out into our homes and our neighborhoods and the places where we recreate and the places where we work and educate and where we get our services and that we would live out what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And in his precious and glorious name, we say, amen. Why don't you be seated? Well, well, well. It's a deep subject. Have you ever wondered why certain stories are in the Bible? What their purpose would be, their intent, and the implication of the story. Why is it there? Why is it important? And in this particular story, why are there 21 verses given to this account in the book of Genesis? Well, I've got to be honest with you. For a long time, I have wondered why this story is actually in the Bible. Now, I want you to keep two things in mind here. The first thing is that there are two concepts that are running parallel in the story. There is the historical, physical event that actually happened in time and space to a real person, persons. And then there are the spiritual truths that run correspondingly with it and to it. And so as I said, as we read, there are four movements. Movement one is called, I call, recovery. Now, last week we talked about one of the 17 stories that we are given in the book of Genesis of Abraham's life of 175 years. Abraham, we establish, is a man of faith, is the father of all who are in the faith, and he was marked as a man of the altar. He was a man well acquainted with the business of sacrifice. And when we talk about sacrifice in Abraham's life, we've got to talk about it in the plural, sacrifices. But the other truth is, not only was Abraham characterized as being an altar builder and sacrifices, he was also a well digger. And so today... We are turning our attention to Abraham's son, Isaac, the next generation of God-seekers. Now, here in our text, we find the son doing what his father did. Isaac following in the steps of Abraham. The second generation, or the next generation, doing what the generation before them did, but in a different way. Now, we see Isaac returning to his spiritual roots by reopening the wells of his father Abraham. Now, symbolically, wells represent the blessing of God, his gracious and his generous provision. And if there ever was a person that was well acquainted with the blessing of God and experienced the goodness of God, it was Isaac's father, Abraham. And so Isaac is returning to his father's wells. And there's an implication that he is backtracking, that he is turning back to his spiritual roots, that he is Returning, there is a repentance, there is a going back. 
Now, Jeremiah says these words, or the Lord says through Jeremiah, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the way, where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Two buddies were out on a four-day canoe trip and they had paddled all afternoon and uh, they wanted, they came to the spot where they had to portage a uh, two-kilometer portage to the next lake. And uh, so they put the, the canoe on their shoulders and they're walking to the next lake. And when they, they were following the trail and all of a sudden there was this huge windfall that had taken, uh, sort of fell over the trail and they had to work their way through it and through a number of things, uh, they got kind of turned around a little bit, but they finally got to the lake as the sun was starting to go down. And so what they decided to do, because they had to make two trips, they had to bring the canoe first, and then they had to go back for their gear. So they thought to themselves, you know what, we've already done this once, so it won't be hard to do this in the dark. So they went back to get their gear, and they picked up their gear, and on the way back to the lake where their canoe was now, they lost their way. Now, neither one of them wanted to actually admit that they were lost. But after about an hour of kind of going in circles and in the direction that they knew wasn't the right direction, one of them said, let's get out a compass. They got at the compass, and they found their bearings, and they found, they looked at northwest, which way the trail was that led to the next lake, and it was late in the evening before they actually got to the lake where they were supposed to be. And by the time then they got the fire going and got some food in their stomachs, they had time to reflect on the day. And so as they sat there and talked about the day, they came up with three lessons. Lesson one, if you lose the trail, go back to where you last had your bearings. For us, spiritually, it's about admitting that we've lost our spiritual path. And maybe ours is a minor detour, or maybe it is a major deviation. But go back to where the last time, the last place, you had your spiritual bearing. Secondly is, when in doubt, get out the compass. Isaac, his compass was the wells of his father. For us, our compass is the Bible and spiritual truth and spiritual tradition. And the last lesson that they learned is this. Believe the compass. Because the compass tells us where we are. And the compass is always right. Now, I want us to consider the quest in some of the questions that are implied in our text. The first one is this. What brought Isaac back to the wells of water of his father? Isaac had it all. Not only was he wealthy by inheritance, he was independently wealthy. He had the Midas touch. Everything he touched prospered. But there was a problem. And his problem was that he lacked the one thing that he needed. The one thing that he needed 
more than anything else, the one thing he needed to live, the one thing that all of his wealth couldn't buy, and he himself could not supply. And that one thing is that he and the people with him needed water. Now, everybody knows that water is essential for life. Just as spiritual water is essential for our spiritual lives. So what did Isaac do when he needed water? He went back to his father's wells. Now here's the corresponding spiritual truth. Water in the Bible is often used to symbolize spiritual life and vitality. Wells are, a, are symbolic of the provision of spiritual life and vitality. And digging wells is symbolic of the exercise and the effort involved in receiving spiritual life and vitality. It symbolizes the pursuit that taps into, that reaches for Spiritual blessing. And then there is this. Digging wells is hard work. It requires sacrifice. Now, I have never dug a well, but I once dug a garbage hole. Believe it or not, where I grew up, uh, we, uh, we had cabins, ca- uh, camps, but they were like 35, 40 miles away from where we lived. We weren't smart enough to do them just like a walk down the road. Um, you know, you just kind of drive five miles. And, you know, we had, that, we had to drive or we had the boat or we had the snowmobile 35 or 40 miles to get to where we were going. But my uncle had this cabin. And he was kind of a quasi-environmentalist. And uh, so he made us dig this garbage pit. That was about five feet square, and he wanted it no less than six feet deep. Well, I know what it means to dig a garbage hole. It's hard work. But you see, when we dig, we pray. When we pray, we dig. When we hunger and thirst after God, we're digging. Psalm 42, which most of us are familiar with, and for those of you that aren't, it'll be on your screen, says this. That as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. And while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Now, what's the psalmist doing? The psalmist is digging. The psalmist is digging a well. And digging is what we do any time we place ourselves in a posture or in a position where God can touch us, where God can meet us, where God can breathe on us. And there's also this. 
A well is a man-made reservoir that is fed either by subterranean springs or by rainwater. But here's the point. The water is what God provides. The digging is what we do. Now, we have to add this one more thing. That unfortunately, some wells in Isaac's time and in Abraham's time, some wells were not reliable. They didn't provide a reliable source of water. And here's the corresponding spiritual truth for us this morning. The same is true. There is no shortage of wells that we are offered to drink from. Wells of power and prestige, of self-importance, of position. Wells of money and wealth and prosperity and glamour and glory and wells filled with sensuality. And the list goes on and on, but they are unreliable. And the water that they provide is itself unreliable. And Jesus said this, that everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him or her will never thirst again. The water that I give him or her will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so Isaac had to go back to his father's wells and reopen them. But this is what he discovered. Verse 16 says, Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth. Important phrase, stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham. With earth. They filled them with earth. And it's usually the stuff of earth that stops up our spiritual wells also, isn't it? It's usually the cares of life that stops up our spiritual wells. It's often, as Peterson says, the worries and and illusions about getting more and wanting everything under the sun that strangle the source of life. It's often the stuff of life that blocks the flow or God's flow to our lives. And ironically, it's not the blatant or the obvious or the evident. It's usually the subtle things that fill in our spiritual wells with the things of earth and block off the flow of God. Four years or so ago, Ruth and I and our family came to Sudbury, and it had been a long time since I'd felt cold. And I don't know what happened, but the first year that we were here, it was the worst winter you guys had had, like, in 25 years. And, and, and a bunch of you said, it's your fault. Me. It's my fault. And I don't know how it was my fault. I didn't know I was that powerful, but hey, whatever you need. But what I, I had a, 
I had a um, uh, 2007, was it a 7 Accord? That gray thing that I crashed up? And uh, what I discovered is that when it really got cold, after a couple days of cold, th- the tires on my car got soft. So I'd go down to the uh, petrol station and I'd put my buck in or two bucks and I'd fill up my tires and get them all pressured up again. And two days later, I'd be back doing the same thing. So I brought the thing into the garage, and there was no nails. There was nothing. And the guy said, oh, I know what the problem is. Your tires have not adhered properly to the rims. And when it gets really cold, the air pressure seeps out. And then all of a sudden, I thought about that, and I thought about this. Isn't it the truth that spiritual failure or spiritual apathy or spiritual coolness, it's never a blowout. It's more often than not a slow leak. And it's at times like these when we're in a slow leak that we need God to help us. We need God to open our eyes to see our need. And so what was it that brought Isaac back to his father's wells? It was this desperate need, desperate desperation. He needed water. Well, when he went back to his father's well, we come to the second movement. What he discovered was rivalry. Matter of fact, one of the issues was that there was contention and quarreling between Isaac's servants who, who unstopped the wells and the servants of the people that were there in the land as well. And they were quarreling. There was contention. Now, interesting in the text, there are two levels of contention. The first one, the word that you actually pronounce right, was Isaac. And Isaac, it represents contention on a human level. And sometimes, when we go back to the wells of our fathers and mothers, our ancestors, there's too much infighting. There's too much contention. There's too much quarreling over the old wells. There's too many people laying claim to the old wells. There's a lot of controversy around the old wells. We hear people argue things like, well, if it's not exactly the way it was, then it cannot be right. You've heard it. I've heard it. As if God is in some sort of rut and he's lost his creativity to do new things. And then in verse 21 it says they dug another well and they quarreled over that also and they called it Sitna. Now, Sitna represents contention on a spiritual level. Follow me here for a moment. Sitna literally means contempt. It can also mean hatred. Matter of fact, the word hatred comes from the Hebrew word to lie in wait as an adversary. Now put your seatbelt down when I tell you this. The word sitna in the Hebrew is actually the same root 
of where we get the word Satan. And the source of your, my, our ultimate opposition to the truth and the truth of Jesus Christ is none other than Satan. Satan will do everything and anything he can to keep you, to keep me, to keep us from the blessing that God has for us and the blessing that he has for our children and for our children's children. He'll do whatever he can. And then we come to the third movement in the text. Rehoboth. You know what the word Rehoboth means? It means room. Room. Wide places, a place with wide streets, a place with, with, uh, that cuts a wide swath. And Isaac is beginning to make room for God. And Isaac is beginning to find a room from God. The psalmist put it this way. He said, he brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Peterson in the message says, he stood me up on a wide open field. I stood there saved, surprised to be loved. And by the way, if you don't think that's important, it's repeated again in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And then that brings us to the final movement, which is where the real change began to take place. What Isaac recognized was this. Recognition and reception is the fourth movement. And the first thing that Isaac recognized is this. He could not go back. He could not go backwards. He had to move forward. And the same is true for you and I. We cannot go backwards. We must move forward. Now, going backward... And going back is something we do naturally. We do it automatically. It's instinctual. But it's a mistake. It's an error. Isaac had received great blessing from his father. Isaac was the recipient of a great heritage. But what he inherited wasn't enough. What he inherited was his father's experience. What he inherited was his father's relationship. The next generation, Isaac, is going to do what the generation before it did, but they're going to do it differently. In the kingdom of God, there are no second-hand experiences. Somebody said it a long time ago, God has no grandchildren. Poor God, actually. Never mind. But God only has children. Some of us in this room, me, you, some of us, we have been the recipients of a great Christian heritage. But that's not enough. And that's not all there is. There is our own relationship with God. 
There is our own spiritual experiences that God has for each and every one of us. This church, Glad Tidings, has been the beneficiary of great spiritual blessing, a great spiritual past. We have enjoyed a great heritage from God. But it's not enough. And it's not all there is. There is more for today. There is more for this time, for our time. We have to do what Isaac did. We have to dig our own wells. We have to dig new wells to find spiritual water and blessing for ourselves today. There are new wells that need to be dug. Not just the on-stopping of the wells of our forebears. And when we dig our own wells, we will find spiritual reality for ourselves. We will uncover the blessing of God. You know, it is good to enjoy truth that comes via other people. But there is nothing better than truth discovered for yourself. It's exhilarating. I remember the first time I knew that God had answered my prayer. Oh, I believed in prayer and I had heard all that, but I remember the first time that I experienced God answering my prayer. It was exhilarating. I remember the first time that I actually experienced God's presence for myself. Not my father's and mother's experience, but my experience. Words cannot express what it was like. I remember the first time I actually heard God's voice. Not audibly, but in my heart, in my thoughts. I knew that God is a speaking God. I mean, I grew up in this, but I remember as an older teenager, almost a young adult, I remember the first time that I heard God's voice speak to me. And when it comes to God and His blessing, there is always more and there is an inexhaustible supply. You know what's interesting about Isaac? He didn't fight any great battles. He didn't build any great cities. He quietly dug wells. And by doing so, he left the trail of blessing behind him. The psalmist said, Blessed are those whose, whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion as they go through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. They will make it a place of springs. 
The early rains also covered it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And the final thing that Isaac that Isaac experienced is that he received the revelation. He received the revelation about God, and he received the revelation about himself, and it was this. In verse 24, it says this, And the Lord appeared to him the same night. This is the beginning of Isaac's own experience, his own relationship with God. And then it says, I am the God of your Abraham, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Now, one of the things that God does, and he does this very uniquely, is that God honors the past, the heritage, but he too moves forward. And then listen to what it says in verse 24, the latter part. Listen to it personally. Fear not, God says. For I am with you, and you, and you. And I will bless you, and you, and you. And multiply your offspring. Yours, yours, yours. For my servant Abraham's sake. This is the result of the blessing of Genesis chapter 12, and I don't have time to get into it. And then it says in verse 20:33, he called it Sibna, or Siba, sorry. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba. Siba means oath, and Beersheba means the well of seven oaths. But get this it's not Isaac's oath to God. It's God's oath to Isaac. Remember I said note when the reading? It wasn't until Isaac dug his own wells that he is named, that he is identified as this. You are now blessed by the Lord. And so in the end, Isaac had a revelation about God, but he also had a revelation about himself, and it's this. Isaac, like all of us, like the rest of us, could not live off his father's spiritual experience or his father's relationship with God. But then again, he didn't have to because he could have his own. He could have his own experience with God. He could have his own relationship with God. He could hear and receive God's oaths and promises to him. He didn't need to live off his father's experience. So can you. And so can I. We can have our own experiences and our own relationship with God. Let me finish with these couple of things. A survey was conducted a couple of years ago here in Sudbury that 3,000 people call Sudbury, or sorry, call Glad Tidings Church their home church. 3,000 people. Now, I'm assuming 
that these people who attended Glad Tidings Church, these 3,000, do so no longer. Or most of them. But the question is, do they attend church elsewhere? Or do they no longer attend anywhere? And my fear, it's, it's the latter. So I was called by one of these 3,000 a few weeks ago to come and have a visit. And I met them and I said, I don't think I recognize you. And the person said to me, no, I used to go to Glad Tidings a long time ago, but I don't go anymore. So what happened here? Did these 3,000 people fail to dig new wells? Or did they allow their wells to be stopped up with earth? With the things of earth. Additionally, from time to time I meet people in the city of Sudbury and they ask me what I do and I tell them that I'm in human resources. I am, but I tell them I'm one of the pastors and I'm the lead pastor at Glad Tidings Church. And they say, oh, 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 my, my father or mother was a Christian. Or my grandparents used to go to Glad Tidings Church. And the way they say it gives me the impression that that was okay for their parents and their grandparents, but it's not for them And then the last thing is this, and I'm going to invite the musicians to come. There are those in the city of Sudbury who have real or perceived hurts. They've been offended, or they've been put off by us as Christians, or they've been put off by Glad Tidings Church. I'm not sure which it is. But here's what our text says to us and to them. Like Isaac, we cannot live off the spiritual experiences of our parents, our grandparents, or the generation before us. Whether good or bad, whatever our perception, but neither do we have to. Because we cannot, go we cannot go back. We must move forward. And we do not have to be. We do not have to live off the experiences of our fathers and our mothers and our grandmothers and our grandfathers. Or to put it in more general terms, we do not have to live off the experiences and relationships of the generation before us. We can have our own relationships. We can have our own experiences. God is a God of the present and the future and the past. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment. For those of you watching online and for those of you that are going to watch on the archive in a couple of days, and for those of us in the room, I can't gauge this for you, but I know that God, by His Holy Spirit, is calling us to be well diggers.
diggers of our own wells. Uncovering God's Word and God's life in our own lives. So in a moment of just transparency and honesty and privacy, where would you rate yourself? Would you rate yourself as somebody who has dug their own wells and the wells are producing and they're producing good water? Or are you the kind of person who has allowed the things of earth to fill in the well? And you've lost your way. And you need to go back where you had your spiritual bearings and start again. Or, worse, you've been drinking from the wrong wells. And you've been drinking from the wrong wells and it's okay for a short time because there is some joy there. But it doesn't last. And you got to go to the next well and the next well and you're tired of going to well after well after well that's unreliable. And God is saying, come and dig some new wells. Open up to His blessing and His vitality and His And third, fourth, some of us in the room, and forgive me for this, think it's all about the past. No. The past was great. I have a great past, spiritually speaking. But it's not enough. It's not enough for me for today. God has something new and something fresh. Something new and something fresh. So what we're going to do for a moment is I'm going to let you just that percolate with you and let it just sort of sit. I want to pray for you. And then Pastor Scott and the team are going to lead us in a song just so that we can think, just so that we can be quieted. Father, in the name of Jesus, through the work and the agency of the Spirit, Speak to our hearts today. There are those of us who've dug our own wells and the well, the water is reliable. But there are those listening today that know that they've allowed the things of earth to fill in their wells. And there are those that are listening today and in this room that possibly have never yet dug their own wells. My, my father, my mother, my grandparents they've not yet dug their own well spiritually and said yes to your offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And Father, there are some of us today in this room watching online or we'll be watching the archive in a few days. We're so stuck in the past. God have mercy that we don't see you, the God who is the same yesterday, today. You haven't lost your creativity. You're still the God of newness and freshness. 
And the hope of the Gospel is always that there is a new beginning, that there is a fresh start. Over and over and over. Holy Spirit, have Your way in our lives this moment, in these next couple of moments. In Christ's name.